Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. I am joined by, for the second time in less than a week, Kevin Cook from the Jury Room Podcast. We had some, we, when was that? Last Tuesday we got on and had uh, technical difficulties? Something like that. I think so. Tuesday or Wednesday, something like that. Yeah. And the, the, the difficulties were that I live in the middle of nowhere and it was raining. And when it rains here, we don't have internet. It doesn't work. Um, so, so this is our, our second round. So we've already been through the uncomfortable statement that i made and i'm going to repeat now (laughs) (laughs) let's go through it a second time yeah let's do do it again well now you know not to be offended when i say that your show the jury room reminds me a lot of sword and scale but for you listeners that just cringed sword it's like i say it's sword and scale with a conscience that's more victim centric but uh you know, your your delivery style is uh, what I when I listened to a few of your episodes, I was like, God, this reminds me of something. And it was like, oh, that's it's it's kind of that same kind of dark. The the sound design is 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 on point. It's great, and you're telling these stories. It's just you know, the it's 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 sort of scale with a conscience. <laughs> um, so would you, would you say would you say that's fair? Uh, I would say that being that. I don't necessarily think I've ever heard a sword and scale episode. I have heard of sword and scale, obviously in the community, but I mean, it's still a big show and they get a lot of listeners. So I appreciate that. And, (laughs) but it it is very much more victim centric on the aspect of, as I try to be as respectful to the victims as possible. It is potentially the worst day of their lives really is the way to look at it. So I try to stay stay focused on them and show them a little bit more respect. My, so I do two. So basically two episodes for one for each story. I'll I'll tell the story and then I bring on a guest for the second episode, which is a little bit more lighthearted, but the narrative episode is very, very, you know, straight to the point. You know, I don't like to joke around in those episodes or anything like that. It's very, very much uh, victim centric. And then I'll bring a guest on another podcast, whether it be, somebody I've met before, somebody I haven't, somebody true crime, somebody not. And, you know, we just kind of discuss the episode and, and whatever happened. So what's your release schedule? Do you do with those two episodes or is they, are they one a week or? Yeah. So it's every, it's every week, once a week. I usually, I usually do Saturdays. Uh, I was doing Saturday and Sunday, like Saturday, one week, Sunday, the next Sunday for the aftermath. So people knew how to distinguish the difference, but I think I'm going to end up just going back to just Saturday. I think it's a little bit confusing even just for myself. And I don't want to confuse people either. So. Sure. 
So I'm, I'm I'm actually looking forward to talking about the case that we're going to talk about today because I have a, a personal connection to this to that case. Uh, but before we get there, I want to learn a little bit more about you. This is the worst, most terrible job that Erica has ever done uh, for background. I think she got tired of me making fun of. <laughs> <laughs> She's cringing right now in the in the Zoom. Uh, I think she got tired of me making fun of her getting too much detailed information. So for you, she uh, literally she did nothing. Me, Nothing at all. It says that that Kevin appears to be a fan of the Saw movies. That's what I got. <laughs> true or false? <laughs> that is that is very much true. I'm very much a, a horror genre fan. Um, uh-huh. Always have been. It's a kind of. I don't want to say it falls in line with true crime, but most true crime fans are horror fans. I don't know why. That's just been my experience. But I very much love the Saw movies. Uh, I was probably. Damn, I don't even remember when the first one came out, but I was in my teenage years, I think, or late teens when it came out. I don't remember, but it was original. It was unique. It was different. It captivated uh-huh. people. So very much a fan of the Saw movies, except for like, I think number seven, that one was terrible. The 3D one was, was not good. Yeah. You can't expect them to hit it out of the park with, with six sequels. Right. Right. In, and Spiral wasn't good either. I don't know if anybody has seen Spiral or not, but it's, it's not that good either. I think I've only seen the original Saw. I don't think I've seen any of them after that. Well, then you're not missing much, so you're you're good. (laughs) So that's all I know about you. Tell me about yourself. So you're out and you're you're in the West Coast, right? Are you you in L.A.? I am not in L.A. I am in Central California, about two to three hours, depending on where you're trying to go from L.A. Uh, A couple hours from the beach, a couple hours from the mountains, just kind of centrally located in the state. Not originally from California. I moved here in 2012, and I'm originally from Arizona. So, yeah. Right. So, what do you do uh, in in Central California? What 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 took you up there? So, you moved up there. You said 2012. So, right. As an adult, was that as an adult? I don't even know how old you are. So, uh, I'm in my 30s. Yeah. So, I'm in my 30s. Okay. I'm 30. I'll be 36 this year. I think I'm going to be 36 this year. Um. Yeah, I'm 30. Yes, 36. And yeah, I was an adult. It was an ex-girlfriend of mine who uh, obviously, obviously is an ex. She had gotten a job up here and it brought me up here. And so about so I do I work in transportation uh, for a trucking company. I'm a, a supervisor. And so I've been doing that for about five years, but I've been with the company since 2010. Gotcha. Yeah, I can. I was thinking supervisors, I because it it seems like I in your wardrobe you've got a lot of dress shirts. Back there, <laughs> polos. <laughs> I'm very much in the closet for this interview. Uh, no, yeah, I um, yeah. So yeah, you can see my work clothes. I very much uh, have to wear the button down up, you know, collared shirts and stuff. So. Yep, and and you like 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 some of the greatest podcasters out there recording in your, <laughs> in your closet. Hey, you know what? Uh, this is for anybody who's listening to this and thought thinking about starting a podcast. Your closet seriously is a free tool for you to use for sound dampening. You have clothes in there. It's a confined space. It's not echoey. It works tremendously well. Yep, that's where all that's where all the great ones start. So you you started your podcast in 2020, so it's a couple year a couple years old. How did you decide to to start the podcast, and how'd you go about doing it? Sure. So I started in it started in the pandemic, but it didn't start because of the pandemic. It was kind of one of those things that 
I've always been interested in doing it, like either doing a YouTube channel or a podcast or something. And I was listening to, at the time I was listening to, um, the mile higher podcast. And then I was like, oh man, I can do this. Like, this is, this is something I can do. And so little did I know how much work actually went into it each episode and, and starting a podcast and all that. So I started doing a bunch of research for, I probably started in, I think March or April of 2020 doing my research. And so, and then I bought the equipment and I was like, okay, I can, and I started messing around with editing. So I probably, I didn't put out my first episode until October. And my very first episode was insane. So it took me probably almost 50 hours to edit my first episode just because I had no idea what I was doing. I had, this isn't my background. I had no audio background, no nothing. So, so then I was like, but I enjoyed the process, even though it took me forever. And then I thought to myself, I was like, how am I going to do this every week? There's no way I can edit an episode you know i don't have 50 hours to edit an episode every week and so i was like you know what i can do this and so as the years have gone by i say years it's been a couple of years but you know I, i've got my editing down and and so it just kind of stuck i really enjoy creating it's something that i'd never done before and i didn't even realize i would enjoy it but i truly do enjoy it and True crime has always been something of a passion of mine. I've always been interested in it. I I love investigate discovery and watching true crime documentaries and listening to true crime podcasts. So it's kind of just it just kind of fit where what what I enjoy. Sure, it's crazy to me as we're sitting here saying this to think about you started a podcast two years ago and that that was it seems like so long ago, but it was, but that was still in the. In, in the pandemic. Right. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of podcasts that have started and gone away, you know, once everything started yeah. opening back up, it's not easy. And that's what I try to tell people when at first, when they're starting out, because I was very much gung ho when I first, Oh my God, I'm going to get, you know, millions of views and I'm going to make all this money. Oh my God. I had no idea there was a whole podcast community, none. And so I didn't know what it was going to be like. So I had this pipe dream in my head, but it was something that once I dug into it, I was like, wow. And I've had, I'm not going to lie. I've had lows through the process where I'm like, damn, do I really want to do this? But I've kind of, you know, just stuck with it. And my show has been growing steadily month after month, which is, you know, that incentive to keep me going. But it's also right. the fact that I just enjoy doing it. I enjoy creating content i enjoy when i get done editing an episode and i listen to it or i'm like hey somebody listen to this so i can see if it's good and they're like oh yeah that's really good i'm like cool like that makes you know that makes it worth it you know what i mean so your first episode was on ed kemper who i'm fascinated by correct so why did you why did you start off with kemper so the jury room is actually a bar that ed kemper drank at when he was oh in santa cruz or in santa Santa Cruz, when he was in Santa Cruz, he was drinking at the jury room with detectives. So when I was doing my research, I was trying to figure out a good name for my podcast. And I was watching, I think mine Hunter season two had come out at the time or right around that time. Mm -hmm. And I was watching season one to catch up. And so, I mean, I, I had already watched it, but I was rewatching it. And 
they were um one of the main characters was talking to ed kemper and he was like oh yeah you know i used to drink at the jury room and i was like damn that's good like that that works and so that's kind of how i got my name and i felt that it was fitting to do my first episode on him you know with an emphasis at the part where i talk about him drinking at the jury room you know but it's in almost two years i've only been asked one time if that's how i got my name and it was just recently so it's you know it's one of those things that it just kind of it's something that it was creative to me that i thought hey you know what this is pretty good so that's why i went with that name and that's why i picked ed kemper for my first case did you know that your format was going to be a new case every week or every two weeks? Um, or did I you kind of learn as you went. I went. I learned as I went, man. It's it's one of those things. I didn't know. I felt I got scared, like a lot of podcasters do, when they first start out. As like, oh, you're you're getting people listening. I can't not put something out the next week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and right. so my anxiety so like when i first started i had all these like, different ideas i was like oh i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this and then it, it, it i started to realize i can't do all everything that i want to do so like i wanted to interview law enforcement and attorneys and like try to teach people like learn learn for myself but also teach people as well that there's another there's a whole nother aspect to the true crime genre and early on i was able to uh interview a couple of detectives but that kind of it just didn't go anywhere. So I started doing, I started trying to get an episode a week that wasn't working. And so I was probably, I don't know, five months in and I took a break and I was like, okay, I took a month off and I was like, I need to, to focus what I, what I want to do, how I want to do it and get my execution down. So then I can, and built a backlog of episodes. So that way, if I needed to take a week off, I could do it with ease and not have a problem with it. And then it hit me and I was like, oh, I'm going to do an aftermath episode. That's easy. I only have to put out two episodes a month and then I can bring on guests for the other two episodes a month. And then it's perfect. It's like, uh, people get to learn who I am. Plus they get, you know, the narrative story. So, it, and, it, and then that way I'm not going two weeks between episodes. It, it just kind of fit what I was looking for at that time. So in the, in this year and a half going on two years that you've been doing this, what, what have been your, your most popular episodes of any like risen to the top that people seem to like? Um, right now, well, Ed Kemper's at the top and then I've got Casey Anthony. I did a two part series on Casey Anthony and those two have probably done the, the, the best. And then Jody Arias has been up there. I haven't looked at my top 10 in a while, but there's, there's, they're all episodes. It, it, I think it's probably because they've been out longer, but uh-huh. my newer episodes are, are gaining a lot more traction faster. They're getting up there faster. So I would probably say Ed Kemper's number one, but just for the fact that he's been out there for so long, but my top cases that I've enjoyed uh, are my cult episodes. Like I've done Jonestown and David Koresh and then uh Angels Landing and Heaven's Gate those are those are my favorite the cults fascinate me for some reason I don't know why but mm-hmm. just the idea that somebody has so much power over somebody is I don't know it's crazy to me so the case that we're going to talk about today is uh the the Columbine uh attacks the school shooting happened on April 20th 1999 in Colorado and it was, uh, I don't know that it was the first 
school shooting ever. Maybe, maybe it was. I, I don't know. But it was seemed to be the first one that was making headlines news that anyone knew about. Right. Yeah. I remember this. I was in. I was, I think, a freshman in high school when this happened. I was either a freshman or eighth grade, and I just remember school got locked down. Every all the teachers were like completely on edge. And all we did, we didn't even do work for the rest of the day. We kind of just watched TV, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. So for me, I was working as a maintenance tech at an apartment complex in Aurora, Colorado when this happened. Wow. Uh, which is, you know, Littleton is the next town over. And my boss's daughter was at the, at the Columbine school, at the high school uh, when this happened. So, like, I remember. You know, we were, you know, you were starting to hear, you know, the, the news was getting around. People were catching on the news and saying, oh, my God, there's some school shooting that's locked down, whatever. And then we went in and they're like, Anita's daughter's there. And she had, I remember she had left and went to the, because the school's about eight minutes from where we worked. And she drove there and then she came back and she was bawling and crying because they, 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 they wouldn't let the parents in. Like they, they made them leave. Right. She wanted to wait there and make sure her daughter was okay. And they made them leave and she just work was closer than home. So she'd come back to work in the office and everyone was gathered around her. Her daughter ended up being okay. But yeah, it was in super intense for me. I remember every minute of that day. Right. What was it like? I mean, it, it had to have been nerve wracking, right? Was there a lot of like news coverage? Was anybody like around there kind of relaying information to you guys? Or were you guys strictly just going off of what was on the news? It was just going off of what was on the news, and that's what was crazy because her her daughter was there. Um, I think no, her daughter didn't have a cell phone. I don't think so, but I don't. But but there just wasn't much information getting out, and that's what she was like. I remember her just screaming because she was going through these ebbs and flows of you know just just terrified and bawling and crying to just rage that they wouldn't. You know, she's she's constantly trying to call the police department, call you know, watching the news, and say like how. You know, she kept screaming, how, how do I have to watch the news to know what's happening with my daughter? And they just wouldn't tell them anything for hours and hours and hours. Right. They wouldn't tell the parents anything. Right. And that was right on the brink of right before, I mean, cell phones, cell phones were coming around, but they weren't like they are today, you know, to where everybody's got one. And so right. that's the, that's the, that's crazy, man. I, I don't have kids, but I couldn't imagine what the the just that wrecked feeling of like did my daughter survive or not yeah yeah it was insane and i was 20 at the time so you know i didn't have kids either but it was just yeah it, it was insane so, so uh, most people know but it, the basics of this but why don't you go ahead and break down the case for us what you know what happened on that day sure so on april 20th 1999 uh dylan claybold and eric harris basically they had a lot of mental health problems on top of, you know, other things they said they were being bullied, but again, it's not something that was confirmed, but bullying definitely takes, takes it into a different light, not excusing anything by any stretch of the means, because there's other ways to deal with this kind of thing. But they basically, you know, had planned out this massacre where they were going to, you know, hurt anybody and everybody who, they thought had wronged them plus take out teachers and other students. And they did go about it very methodically. And thankfully they had a lot of their explosives weren't, obviously they weren't 
uh, explosive technicians or whatever you want to call it, you know, experts. So a lot of their explosives didn't go off, thankfully. Otherwise, we would be talking about a lot more victims in this case. Yeah. And the I, I thought there was... Wasn't there like a catch-up incident or something? Because some of the bullying stuff was confirmed later. Was it catch-up that one of them got? You know, yeah, I, let me see. I got my notes in front of me. Let me find it. As I remember, because remember, I remember hearing a lot of the stuff from my boss, like in the following like weeks that she, you know, that her daughter was telling her, like these were kind of like, kind of the creepy emo goth kids that, you know, the, and that people picked on them and that they, you know, because she, her daughter lost some friends that, that died in the in the shooting. But I remember her telling me something that I'm reading about it later that there was an incident where like a bunch of kids like surrounded either both of them or one of them and like sprayed them sprayed them down with like ketchup. And it was just there. I think I think it were, there was some confirmed. There was some pretty nasty bullying that that did go on with these guys. Right, and that that is the sad part about the story is that they were very much you know, the outcasts of the school and kids can be extremely brutal when it comes to bullying in school. I'm sure you remember when you were in school, like if you didn't fit in, you, you, you kind of got picked on, you know what I mean? It's, it's just one of those things. And that is the unfortunate part when, when stuff like this happens, you really don't, you really don't realize what somebody might, might be going through or what happened to them until something bad happens. And this is an example of that. And unfortunately, this, this incident has been the catalyst to a lot of school shootings, a lot of mass shooting, violent episodes where a lot of these guys are referencing Columbine high school. And it's, it's unfortunate that, that this is the catalyst for these kind of events. Yeah. And, and there were, you know, this was this was planned out for a long time because I think one of their parents was it um, Klebold's parents, I think, uh, uh, that that were certain that uh, that that Harris must have, you know, uh, manipulated his their son to get him to, to be a part of this. That you know he would never do that. And then they came. Then they found the the basement tapes. Can you t- you can talk a little about that? What was all on those tapes? Right. So the basement tapes. They were basically going through you know, what they were going to do. They were showing all the different ammunition and explosives that they had. And, you know, basically like, you know, we're going to get everybody, you know, and they were showing all the different, they were very jumbled up, you know, rants of, of like, in my opinion, like kind of like, it looks, it was almost like a Joker-esque, you know what I mean? Where it was very unorganized. They didn't know what they wanted to do, but they knew that they were going to kill people. And I think they kind of egged each other on in a way. I don't think one person had more fault than the other. I think they both were in a place in their school where they felt isolated and they kind of found refuge within each other. And they both had these extreme ideologies that they kind of fed off of each other. There's a lot of people that have, you know, kind of these kinds of feelings, but they don't necessarily act on them. But when you've got somebody there who's telling you, hey, you can do this or, you know, and they're egging each other on and, and it's almost like they can't back down. You know what I mean? And so then it's like, then they go through with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where did, so they had several pipe bombs mm-hmm. that they had built, uh, most of which didn't 
didn't work, didn't explode. Right. Um, thankfully, as you said, and then and then several guns. Where where did they get a hold of all these guns? I want to say they. I know that they got some of their guns from from their parents, but they probably. I think they were also getting them. They probably faked, or they faked. They had fake IDs, and they were buying them. I believe from like gun dealers and stuff like that. And so that's the hard part too, is being able to, you know, that they were able to buy guns and gun rights is, is a, is a hot button topic, you know, period. But it it becomes even more center stage when stuff like this happens. Yeah. And they had, I know they had shotguns, pistols, rifles. They had just bags full of guns and they seem to be killing just that. They ended up killing it was i think 12 students and one teacher one teacher yep and then there were 21 um, other people that were injured by gunshots and then three more were injured while they were trying to escape so it, it was it was pretty awful and the big thing from that is it, it their massacre inspired uh the number that i have here was 74 copycat cases cases that not just like other school shootings that resembled this, but in 74 other instances where people had, you know, the, the offenders had cited the Columbine shooting as like their inspiration. Uh, they didn't all get carried out. I think there was 21 of them that actually resulted in attacks and the rest were thwarted by law enforcement during the planning stages. But yeah, it was like this turning point. Like we had never, and I don't know, again, I said, and I'm still not sure if there was ever a shooting in a school like that before I have seems like there had to have been somewhere, but I think I in the seventies there was some school shootings, but nothing to this magnitude. Yeah. It was, it was like nothing. It, it, it was, it's just, it's crazy to think about. Cause we, you know, we hear these horrible stories of gun violence now all the time Right. that back then that wasn't the norm. Like that was, that was insanity that there was a shooting in a school and then it changed. So you were still in school at the time. Correct. Uh, do you remember the change? Because you know, shortly after that, I used to substitute teach as a part-time job. So I got some of it in the schools. But you know, all of a sudden, like the life changed. Like we we started doing these lockdown drills and what to do if there was an inside threat or an outside threat, and you know, things like and they and they took the lessons they learned from Columbine to figure out how they could try to lower the casualties in an incident like this yeah so i i remember they they definitely started doing lockdown drills active shooter drills uh zero tolerance policies when it comes to any kind of weapons anything like that thankfully uh the schools that i went to i never had any issues uh there was an instance off the top of my head that i can think of where somebody who had mental health problems and also had access to firearms, ended up on school grounds with a firearm, but he was on the kind of on the outskirts. He never made it into the school and they were able to restrain him and take him away. And, you know, and he, he ended up getting charged with, I don't remember now, but so we did have instances where, you know, where people would have weapons, but it, it became very much a, where the teachers would, you know, where if a certain bell went off or whatever, they would lock us down. We would sit in the classroom, you know, they would teach us to get under the desk and, and all kinds of crazy things. But yeah, this, this definitely changed the landscape of school, you know, the way that people could come into school, you know, you had, everybody had to go through the front, you know, through the front office kind of thing, you know, where they would keep the perimeters of the school locked. So that way you had to kind of funnel in through one way. So that way they could see who was coming in. 
um, this definitely changed. I mean, you were talking about the, the different tragedies that it's inspired. I mean, just the Aurora shooting in the movie theater, you know, or the Virginia Tech massacre, uh, what's his name? And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different people who have referenced him. And, and that's unfortunate that this kind of stuff gives inspiration to other people. There's no reason for that. There's, it's just unfortunate that that that's the world that we live in. There's at least been an attempt since this to learn some lessons about the causation here. And, and again, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, there's no excuse for what these guys did, but th- at the same time, they were, they, they were certainly pushed to the brink with some of the bullying that went on. Like, I don't remember all of it. I remember the whole catch up incident thing, but it was just like this constant deal where they were constantly being picked on and pushed aside. And so then a lot of the schools started putting in these anti-bullying policies, which, you know, in my opinion, just I have four kids that have been through school and a, a lot of them seem to be a lot more on paper than, than actually doing anything about it. And I think we need to get better about it because it, it, if you take a kid that already has, you know, is maybe emotionally unstable and maybe has access to some of these guns and then you start, you know, poking and prodding and poking and prodding, eventually you're going to see more of this happen. But you know, one interesting thing about the case is they went through the whole school and there were all these people that were shot, but most of the deaths all occurred. And I think that's the big lesson they, they learned with the lockdown drills about how to where to position people and keeping doors closed inside because of the 12 students that were killed, 10 of them were all killed in the library. Right. There was like this one room where they had everybody kind of, you know, boxed into one place and they were just methodically going through and just shooting one after another after another uh, before they ended up taking their own lives. And that's the crazy part too, is they didn't even kill everybody. There was a lot of people who they just, I think they just wanted to feel in control, you know, how be that, you know, how feel that power. And that's the problem too, is that I don't think there is, at least then it's getting better. It's not where it should be. But back then mental health was not a priority, not for teenagers, not for adults, Mental health was not talked about. If you were having a bad day or if you felt bad for a while, oh, you know, you're, oh, you're just depressed. You'll feel better, you know? And as teenagers, your emotions are all over the place as it is. But to add puberty and wanting to fit in and, and all these other things, plus on top of potentially having a personality disorder, it's just a ticking time bomb. And then to add the bullying on top, it's almost like just that perfect storm to create these kind of individuals within our school system that, you know, they get pushed out and they're outcast and then they, you know, then they end up doing something like this. Yeah. Hopefully we've learned some lessons. I mean, it's been, it's been too long, man. It's been 23 years and, and these things are still happening. I think we've learned some, but yeah, we need to, the, the focus that needs to be put on mental health and trying to cut down the bullying. Certainly there's a whole discussion about gun control that comes out of this um, and how we re- you know, would respond in an incident like this. And then, and then there's the, you know, the, the see something, say something has, has been a big thing that, you know, that that's been tied to a lot of uh, terrorism stuff too, but it's also these school shootings because there was much like we still see, there was a, there was a shooting in, in Michigan, just uh, where I live just, just a few months ago. Where a kid took his gun from his parents' house and then went to the school, and, and, and there are all these warning signs that, that get ignored. And it was the same thing back here. I think it was, uh, 
I think it was Dylan that was that that had a blog or excuse me, it was Eric Harris had a a website. They had a had website. A yeah, with a blog where they would post dark things, including instructions on how to make bombs and all these murderous fantasies prior to the murders. And it's, it's like nobody ever. It's one of those things you look back on after the fact and can say, you know, what? The, how the hell did you not see this coming? But it's like it. Nobody took anything seriously, and I and honestly, I think we're still not great about taking things seriously. seriously. That school shooting that just happened in Michigan, you're talking about the one that the, the parents bought him a gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's a case where his parents, in my opinion, should be charged along with him. I think right. they are just as responsible as as the school shooter himself in the instance with Columbine, I don't, I don't know if their parents, their parents obviously weren't involved. They weren't buying them guns and explosives and nothing crazy like that. Um, but I don't think they should be charged just like they weren't. They didn't necessarily have a hand in it, but it is one of those situations where they ignored the warning signs. They ignored what their kids were doing. My mom, was extremely hands-on with what I was doing and where I was going as much as I tried to hide it from her. She still knew what was happening or, or if I was doing something bad or if I was feeling bad or whatever the case was, she was still a part of it. You know what I mean? So it's hard to imagine being so blinded, I guess, as parents not to be a part of your kids' lives. You know what I mean? To, to well, they, weren't even, they weren't even hiding anything. You know, they're in the basement making these videos. Which you get a clue that the, the parents didn't know what was going on because I think a part of some of the videos, if I remember correctly, was them, you know, saying like, uh, you know, basically calling his mom a dumbass because right. You're, you're right upstairs, you have no idea. But then, like, they had a the public website where right. they're building bombs, right. you know. And I guess, you know, I, it's earlier times on the internet. Maybe mom and dad didn't find it. Nobody said, but that's again, that's why people need to say something. This one in Michigan, there was completely inexcusable. They had bought him the gun. There was he had access to it all the time. It wasn't locked up, and I'm you know most people that listen to me know like I'm a hunter. I have guns. They're all locked in a big ass fireproof safe. Right. That uses my fingerprint to unlock it, and we're very, you know extremely careful. But it, but you know so I'm not anti gun, but there's right. gotta, you got to be careful with with they just give this kid this gun. He's got access to it. But then the school too. There was I don't remember the exact details, but wasn't there something like where he had something had happened in school that day. Right, like he was drawing something or writing something, where they're like they suspected that he could be violent, and they called his parents <laughs> and told them to come get him. And they she, and, they just texted him and said, "Hey, don't do that," like or something yeah. like, like so. Yeah, the they, the one in Michigan, they refused, they refused to come get him. Yeah, and then the school the school then just like oh, okay, go back to class. No one <laughs> looked into his back. He had the gun in his backpack the whole time while he was in the right. principal's office. Right. When they brought him in there because they suspected that he was gonna gonna carry out a violent act in the school. Nobody looked in his backpack. Nobody asked him to show him what was in the backpack. The parents refused to come get him. They knew he had access to this gun. It's like it's like for fuck's sake, how many warning signs <laughs> do you need to somebody intervene and stop this? From happening, and I, I believe his parents were charged. They are charged, they as far as I know yeah. that they're, they're going through the the legal system right now. But that's a case of pure parent just bullshit. Like I don't even know how to put it, but like those parents deserve to have 
the same amount of charges as the sun. They are, are just as culpable as the sun because they encouraged the, the violence. They encouraged him to have a gun. They didn't tell him no. They didn't hold it back from him. And they didn't give a fuck. I mean, the reality is they didn't give a fuck. You know, it was, right. it was don't make us look bad, basically. He, but here, here's a gun. And it's like, yeah, bro, you can't do that. Oh, I couldn't even, I could not even, listen, as someone who has guns, I could not imagine giving my kid a gun. My high school, I have two high schoolers right now and, and been like, here you go. Right. Here you go. Here's Happy a gun. Birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Right. That, oh, and you know what? You can keep it in your room. It's fine. Don't even, don't yeah. even lock it up. Just keep it in your room. That's insane. Yeah. And I don't know all the details of that case. I only know what I've seen in the news. So who knows what's accurate and what's not. But from what I've seen, yeah, I agree with you. It seems like they should be charged as accessories to all this. Um, and it was just an absolute mess. But, but your coverage, I listened to your coverage on the, uh, I know I caught you off guard with a few questions here uh, uh, later, but your coverage on your podcast of the Columbine case is phenomenal. Um, great work, very well researched. You've got some original audio in there. Um, it really kind of took me back to that that day because I think you had some one of the 911 calls mm-hmm. or something. I think you, you yeah. played in there. And man, for me, like I said, I was, it was my, my friend and boss is one of the people calling that school at that time. I was, I, I had lived through it. He did a great job of covering it. Everything I've listened to so far has been fantastic. His name is Kevin Cook. The podcast is called The Jury Room. Check it out. Might just be your next big true crime binge. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me, Buzz. Great to meet you. Can I plug a series that I'm working on before I get out of it, before we get out of here, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. So I, it is a very much, the jury room is very much centric around true crime. But right now I'm working on a series on addicted, on addiction. It's going to be called addicted. So it's something that is right now it's, it's super important that I think needs to get more coverage and get out there. Um, but basically going through the, the history on drugs, the war on drugs, you know, how it's been criminalized and why I think it shouldn't be criminalized. Uh, but also I'm bringing on guests to tell their story and how they went through addiction and how they got clean and what helped them. Uh, so it's something that I feel needs attention brought to it. I want to start a conversation. That's the whole point of the series itself. But if that's something that everybody's interested in, definitely come check me out. I'm planning on releasing episodes starting May 1st. Uh, so okay. it's something that I'm right on the verge of finishing. I've got, I've actually got the introduction episode done and I've got like five interviews edited already, but I'm, I'm working hopefully where I can get five episodes or so ahead. So that way I can still put out true crime content plus putting out that as well. That's great. That's going to be called addicted. It is going to be called addicted right now. It's just a series. Everybody asked me, Oh, is it a new podcast? Not yet, but I I have a feeling it's going to end up becoming a podcast in itself. But right now it's just a series that I'm working on within the jury room. Oh, so it'll be in the, on the jury room. Correct. Awesome. So look for that. Look for Addicted coming up uh, around May 1st, we hope. Correct. Uh, And you'll be subscribed and ready to go if you already checked out the jury room and subscribed to that one. So thanks, Kevin. Again, great to meet you and uh, appreciate you coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. And uh, it's definitely a good conversation. And and again, thanks for having me.
True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.